Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Great to have your company on Press Room for the 20th of November. All of our regular panellists coming up. We'll have a chat with Chris Barsby as well as the Inter-Dominion is looming large, being held right here in south-east Queensland at Albion Park. Of course, happy to hear what you think. News, views, agree, disagree, you know the drill. You can tweet me at Radio Tabos or better to text me, 0499 punter. That's 0499 786837. As you know, we tweet the podcast out each week on the Radio Tab Oz link or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press Room each and every Monday right from the get-go back in 2015 is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, preaching to the converted can't be criticised, but it doesn't achieve a lot of the long run. Many of you this morning may not realise the Inter-Dominion is being held in Brisbane this year. And many of you may also not realise it actually starts on Friday week, December the 1st. That's 12 days away. There were very few that thought an Inter-Dominion would ever be held in Queensland again, considering the overall state of the Albion Park facility, dismantled with the, the removal of the Russ Hinstead way back in 2008. That situation forced the Albion Park Harness Racing Club to relocate to the former Parklands track of the Gold Coast for the 2009 series. As a committeeman and the race broadcaster of the club at the time, I'm proud to say it was an outstanding success. Wonderful racing and a great social aspect to it. It's one of the Inter-Dominion's greatest selling points. Well, it was once. Roll forward 14 years, and at the risk of being cast as old-fashioned and or a traditionalist, and on this occasion I'm happy to wear both badges proudly, have you seen an ad on TV? Have you heard one on radio? Driven by a billboard promoting it? Read something in the newspaper outside of the sporting pages? I doubt it. In fact, I'm convinced of it. Awareness. Awareness is the initial key driver to create interest, and then you build on it. And despite what some say, traditional media still has a role to play in the awareness building. I appreciate there's a juggling act in accommodating crowds for the, the space available at Albion Park these days. But as someone who's been intrinsically involved in Inter-Dominions in one way or another for nearly 40 years, I'm disappointed ID23 is still something of a secret. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. And not forgetting that Queensland will provide the Inter-Dominion favourite. Leap to fame at $2. We'll talk more about Inter-Dom 23 with Chris Barsby when he joins me halfway through the program. Ben Dorries is on the line, though, ready and eager to go. Good morning, Ben. Yeah, good morning, David. I'd imagine there's a lot of leery heads this morning. A lot of people who would have stayed up to watch Australia win that magnificent Cricket World Cup final. Who would have thought, eh? Completely gone after two games, written off by everyone, and stormed to another win. We just know how to win those big games at World Cups. Unfortunately, on this occasion, you're talking to the unconverted. (laughs) I I, I do know it was on. I do know that. I know the result, but... The background to it, I'm a bit hazy. But did you give them any chance before the game last night, the Aussies? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, because 130,000 people were at the stadium. I mean, mm. that is 
consider that 130,000 people. I mean, there's roughly 100,000 or a few less at an AFL grand final. This is another 30,000 more at the World Cup cricket final. So what does that mean? Yeah, a lot of support for India. Uh, the Blue Army, the, the Blue Wave, as they called them. But, gee whiz, a lot of pressure as well. I mean, every little decision, every little thing magnified. And Australia were the underdogs. They didn't even expect to get to the final at one stage. And they are a bloody good side. So, look, I thought it was a 50-50 game. Um, but, yeah, um, Travis Head, just remarkable stuff. He is just extraordinary. So, congratulations to Australia. I heard your comments about the Interdom, David. Uh, I don't think we'll be getting 130,000 people there, but let's hope uh, for a bit more publicity, a little bit more fanfare, and we'll, we'll get uh, get our arms around it. Just a bit more awareness. I want to actually kick off on a, another club. We've talked about Hardest Racing, now opening remarks, and Chris will join me later. And there's a few thoroughbred topics I want to touch on, but I want to talk about Greyhounds firstly. And uh, you were all over this story through Racing about the Ipswich Greyhound Club. It looked as though we mightn't be racing at Ipswich again because there seemed to be a stalemate between Racing Queensland and the Ipswich Show Society, where, of course, the Greyhound meetings are held in terms of uh, a rental figure that seemed way out of whack. But obviously there's been a compromise which was announced last week and a good one for the Greyhound industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, without going all through all the tin tacks, there was, uh, they're only going to be there for another year anyway, effectively, the Greyhounds, before the new uh, facility is up and running. And the Ipswich Show Society, um, you know, which basically operated, you know, the Ipswich Showgrounds where the, the track is, it asked for an extraordinary $12 million payment for, 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 you know, a make good payment. They said, well, you know, we've been, we've been great landlords for the last 40 or 50 years. Give us twelve million bucks to keep uh, keep racing here for another year, if you don't mind. I mean, that's that's a, that's a bit like me sort of asking to be paid, you know, four hundred and forty-three million dollars for for doing my job. I mean, how do you pluck that figure out of the air? Just extraordinary stuff. But look, uh, I'm not aware of the actual figures involved now. They they may have copped some sort of payment, but certainly nothing like twelve million dollars. But uh, the good news is, uh, greyhounds will continue there for another year, which is a bit of a stopgap measure, I guess, until uh, the new sparkling facility is up and running. So sounds like calm and cool heads have prevailed in the end, David. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that that figure would now not be double figures but single figures. And, of course, the, the Q Greyhound Complex, which is going to be wonderful at Perga, it's uh, right underway. Because we're still wanting to hear about the Albion Park situation in terms of harness racing. Can they stay there a bit longer so that the gap between the closure there and the opening of the, the Harness Racing Centre in Norwell is as little as possible. That story is still on the table. Hey, um, a couple of feel-good stories during the week. Barry Baldwin, of course, was a guest of Stephen Hewlett's on Friday. They had a, a quite a long conversation about Barry's career. I think one of the features to come out of this, Ben, or one of the, the most positive things to come out of this, is that Barry's not being lost to the industry. He's one of the most liked uh, licensees in racing has a wealth of knowledge, and that's not going to be lost. Yeah, I mean, Barry is 80 years old, but uh, he said to me last week, he said, look, that's got nothing to do really with me retiring. He said, oh, I feel I'm you know, ready to keep going. I feel like I've got more knowledge than I ever have. But the bottom line is uh, he can only fill, I think, five out of the 15 boxes he's leasing. So just didn't make financial sense. But yes, the great news is, and everyone loves Barry Baldwin, don't they? I mean, if you can find someone to say a bad word about Barry Baldwin... You're doing well. 
Uh, I don't think there would be anyone. Uh, but Chris Anderson um, at Eagle Farm has you know, really welcomed Barry with open arms into his stables and said, look, uh, i got a job here for you, Barry. Uh, just just come into my stables whenever you want. Uh, give me a bit of a hand with the horses, a bit of a well, mentoring is probably the wrong word, but, but just a, a wise old head to lean on in terms of advice with you know, training horses, programming, you know, even buying horses potentially. So, look, that's great. I mean, he can go down there, Barry, as, as much or as little as he likes. It's not a training partnership in the, in the sort of strict sense. Um, but, look, it's just, uh, it's just terrific news for, for Barry because he gets to stay involved uh, in the industry. And, look, the outpouring of sort of, um, oh, I suppose, feel-good vibes for him has been incredible. I mean, I had someone, I had Tommy Berry, Group 1 winning jockey from Sydney, mm. just contact me out of the blue last week and just say, Ben, have you got a number for Barry Baldwin? He said, I just read your story. He said, I just love Barry. I just want to get in touch with him and, and say hello and, and check in with him. And I've had plenty of other messages like that. So, look, I really love part of the Queensland racing industry. But as we as we said, David, he won't be lost to racing, which is terrific. Yeah, and I'm sure he, he'd be delighted in that uh, that role he's going to play with Chris Anderson and, and equally delighted will be Chris uh, having Barry's uh, or the, the uh, having the advantage of Barry's knowledge because we can't afford to lose these people. I mean, you know, retirement is, is a part of life. I get that. But the knowledge they've got, the life experience they've got that they can that they've stored up there, they can pass on to, to younger people is invaluable. Well, speaking about... Um, older traders or senior traders. You wrote a story last week and there's no indication of this lady retiring. Oh, no, absolutely, David. Shirley Batten, if you don't mind, she's 91 years old. Get that round your head. 91 years old. She's still training. She's actually I had a look at the trials on the Gold Coast this morning, the, the, the first set of trials. She's actually got a horse trialling, if you don't mind, uh, on the Gold Coast. She was born in 1932, uh, the same year the Sydney um, Harbour Bridge open and she's still going you wouldn't believe it and she said that horses are what keeps her going um and it's just uh, just extraordinary stuff david i mean uh can you imagine that at age uh 91 you know when most people are are just sort of you know they've got their feet up and and they're thinking about uh you know i suppose their twilight years just enjoying them and she's getting up she said my alarm goes off at 2.20 a.m. every morning. Every single morning, 91-year-old Shirley rolls up to the stables, uh, trains the horses, she comes back in the afternoon. She doesn't lead them anymore. She's had a few little health issues, nothing too uh, significant. Um, but, look, that's just amazing, isn't it? And I rang, of course, the Australian Trainers Association, and I said, look, would Shirley be the oldest trainer, uh, oldest active trainer in Australia? They said, 100% definitely. So, look, we sort of marketed the story I did as Australia's oldest trainer. And, of course, have a guess what happened, David? Out of the it blue. I've been, <laughs> I've been contacted by the family of Victorian trainer Colin Butcher, who, if you don't mind, is 93. He's got a couple of years on, Shirley. So, I mean, just incredible stories. And that's what racing does, isn't it? I mean, what other sport, really, in the world could you have active participants into their 90s? Just amazing stuff. Yeah, exactly. I, I know from a harness racing point of view, John Steria, who still trains and drives, he was racing at Albion Park on Friday, 82 years of age, st still training, but driving as well. So 
that's from the hardest point of view. You just mentioned those Gold Coast trials. I'm just watching as we're talking the replay of the first trial. They had the, the hats out about probably eight metres or so, but everything looked OK just watching what I'm seeing. Yeah, well, look, the feedback so far uh, has been pretty good. We spoke to Martin Harley, the, the, the you know, globetrotting jockey from originally from Ireland who, who rode on it sort of, rode on it a couple of times. He gave it a glowing review. But, look, I suppose the proof will be in the pudding. Uh, the first meeting there, obviously, on December 9. We'll see how that fares and the weather, I guess. Uh, you know, there's a fair bit of rain around this week. We'll have a bit of a role to play in what sort of shape that's track, uh, that track is tracking in. Uh, but we cross our fingers, hope for the best. But the good signs are there at the moment, David. Yeah, Ryan Maloney riding Barassi for Team Edmonds, Toby and Trent Edmonds. Now, they, they trialled over a 1,000 metres, as I said, the hats round. Still around sharp time, considering they raced off the rail, 57.93, 34.96. And that's uh, part of the, the, the remodelled track at the Gold Coast. The 900 metres is gone now. The old 900 metres shoot used to be 800 on the old, old track, then 900. That's gone. The shortest distance is 1,000 metres, which had been there and then wasn't used for some time, but it affords a, a very... A good run onto that sweeping turn. So those trials currently underway. Um, you're heading to Perth uh, soon for the, the winter bottom. We've got the railway on Saturday. The carnival kicks off on Saturday. But drama on last Saturday. Oh, yeah, huge drama. I mean, the last race had to be uh, abandoned. It was actually rescheduled. But, look, stunning scenes, really. I mean, there was a, a section uh, of the turf uh, that was, um, I think, at about the 500 metres, which was which was causing issues. So they moved the rail out, and then it caused even further issues when the horses started to to, to sort of jump at the spot, and it create you know caused interference and and all sorts of things. It was just a bizarre situation. So, look, the stewards eventually made the call to abandon the meeting with one race to go. Uh, it was basically deemed un- uh, unsafe for racing. Uh, racing, So a shocking start to the to the pinnacles. But look, um, I suppose the good news in the interim is the Group 1 railway uh, will be run on Saturday and the rail will be moved out, you know, six to seven metres in order to avoid this particular area, which is the turf in that area is going to be replaced this week. And then the rail will, meet, will be moved out further again uh, for the Group 1 Winterbottom, which I'm going uh, over to on Saturday week before this new section of, of track is tested for the first time. Uh, the rail has moved back uh, for the Northerly Stakes Group 1 meeting on December 9. So, look, certainly not a ideal um, start to the carnival. I, it's, gee, I'll tell you what, uh, social media is a funny thing, isn't it, David? I saw some people uh, on social media, some wags, blasting uh, you know, Sky Racing and Sky Thoroughbred Central saying... Well, this is a disgrace. You haven't shown the last race in Perth. What's going on? You've, you've moved it to some other channel. We can't watch it. What a joke. Sky's a disgrace. Until it was pointed out, the race actually wasn't run at all. <laughs> made me laugh anyway. So, the look... Ra- um, the, the railway on, on Saturday roots the hot Danish winner, $3.50. So she's travelling across for Team Waller. Tuvalu, four fifty. Al Safina at $6.00. And Forgot You at $8.00. Mitch Cohen's about to join us to talk all things Sydney. Before you go, though, and we touched on this... On uh, past the post yesterday, Tyler Leslie winning the Roma Cup. I had a look at the replay. It gave them a long start and not only gave them a beating, it gave them a thrashing. I think it won by five or six lengths. A huge crowd there, but no big celebrations for Tyler. It was head down, bum up, so to speak, at the back of the ute. 
Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Like some uh, some jockeys sleep in flash mansions after they win big races. Tyler Leslie won the, the biggest race of his career, wasn't able to find a, a motel to stay in at Roma for the night. So, yeah, slept in the back of his, his ute. So good on him. And look, as I said uh, yesterday, David, the stories initially and the headlines about Tyler were, um, and understandably so, about him being Australia's first transgender jockey because that was obviously... Uh, he's cut from a different cloth. It was obviously interesting to uh, a lot of people, including me and I'm sure a lot of our listeners. And Tyler was quite happy to speak about that side of his life. But let's move on now. Let's just talk about Tyler as a jockey. He just wants to be known as a jockey. He's got his provincial licence. Uh, he'll be riding at the big country stampede meeting uh, in a few weeks' time. He's a terrific kid. Uh, he, good jockey. Obviously got a bit to learn, like they all do when they come from the bush. Uh, but we really wish him all the best. So Tyler Leslie, the jockey, slept in his ute. Uh, but I'm sure he managed to celebrate. Nevertheless, congratulations, Tyler. Terrific win. Teaming up with Desley Forster for his uh, rather like a three-month campaign, which which can be extended. Good on you, Ben. Talk soon. Thanks, David. Ben Dorries joining us this morning. Let's say good morning to Mitch Carl. Mitch, how are you? Very well, thanks, David. How are you this morning? I'm well. Uh, Newcastle on Saturday. I want to touch on a few things here. Cole Crusher, dominant in the Hunter, uh, track record time, sustained speed start to finish. Joe Pride winning trainer. But uh, I thought your story had a really good angle to it in yesterday's Sunday Telegraph. It was more about the family and, and particularly his son Brave than, than the win of Cole Crusher. He's a damn good bloke, Joe. I mean, obviously you know him personally and he just seems just a, a delightful person to be in the company of. Oh, for sure, and, and it was a plan for, for Joe all the way through. Uh, the, the first run, this preparation, this is the race that he had in mind. It's a, a bit of one of those horses in the stable. He's, he's no superstar, but he's up to a high level of racing, and, he, and he's just much loved around the stable, Cole Crusher. But I wasn't standing too far away from Joe and his son, Brave, as, as Tyler Schiller came in the straight with a, with a couple of lengths lead, and, and Brave was jumping up and down, and... And really, um, he was with the horse the whole way down the straight. But uh, the grin from Eadery after seeing Joe earlier in this carnival, after obviously winning an Everest and obviously won a couple of Group 1s up there in Queensland and, and one in Sydney. But um, I think the joy on both of their faces was just as big. He felt bigger uh, on, on Hunter Day than it was on those races. It, uh, it's, it's just one of those things where the horse was obviously strapped by Brave and, and Brave's pretty omnipresent at Sydney race meetings now. You see him mm. um, if he's not at school he's, he's in the stables or he's at the races um, he's often at the races so I'm learning the craft. It's only a matter of time really before uh, I think we see, uh, well at some stage not too far down the track you'll see uh, Joe and Brave Pride uh, joint trainers uh, in, a, in a few years time because he's He's there in the stable. He's, he's getting the hands dirty for many years. Um, but this is one of his favourite horses too, uh, a horse that he's been with all the way through, uh, a horse that the family sort of owns. So, yeah, it was just a great story. And, and what a ride too by Tyler Schiller. Yeah, ex exactly right. And speaking of Tyler, uh, he rode a treble on the day? He did, he did, and he's riding just outstanding at the moment. Obviously, um, won the Apprentice's title a few years ago and then was in the well, the race for the title last year. And I know we spoke about it not so long ago about uh, Dylan Gibbons and Zach Lloyd fighting out that, that premiership last season. But he was right there with them for a long way and he was riding 
obviously the first time, well, most of the season without a claim. Now he's a fully-fledged jockey, and, and hasn't he just fit into the ranks so quickly? I mean, he's really asserted himself as, as one of Sydney's top jockeys, and we spoke so many times before about how strong Sydney's uh, jockey's room is, and, and he certainly just stepped in and said, look, I'm as good as any of you. Uh, he's ridden three on Saturday. He's right on Cole Crusher. Even Joe said, I think he's gone a bit too fast. But uh, And and Tyler was a, a bit the same, but that horse, Cole Crusher, he just kept going with, with a tailwind as well. Um, he, he proved too hard to catch. But, uh, yeah, he's proven he can ride stayers. Uh, I think you go back and look at his St. Ledger ride um, on land legend. Uh, he, he's versatile, Tyler, which is what makes him so impressive. Yeah, it was an intelligent ride that day. And the proof's in the pudding. Uh, he and Nash, Nash Rewilla, shared top billing currently on the Metro Jockeys Premiership, 28 wins each. I'll tell you a story. Um, uh, you love to have Nash in your corner when, when, when you've backed one. You don't want Nash in your corner when you've got one trying to chase him down. I was on one on Saturday, Sharp Rock. <laughs> and honestly, if it was... You know, from the margin, I'm sure, was a nose, if not a half a nose. And, and Nash, on, on a rematch, it was. I said, oh, please. You know, but it, it just couldn't get past Nash's. He's just too tough and too strong. Now, he lays claim. Now, this is very interesting because McDonald has taken a, a short-term tenure in Hong Kong. I think he's on 22 wins so far. So is Nash now favourite for the Jockeys Premiership? He is correct, yeah, two dollars forty. And oh, I don't know about you, David, but I can't remember the last time that even when obviously James always takes these stints down in Victoria, as many of Sydney's top jockeys do, to ride um, Group Ones down there during the carnival, come back forth, back forth. But James has spent a fair bit of time down there. But I still can't remember the last time that he wasn't favourite to win the Sydney Metropolitan Jockeys Premiership. I, I know he's won the last five. He's obviously won seven in total and, and take nothing away from Nash, of course, who's, who's won a few himself. But uh, James, obviously, this in a way, the bookies have reacted. The planners have dove in to Nash as well. Uh, he's riding terrific. I spoke to Nash at the start of the season and he said, look, um, I'm never going to say I'm not sort of still aiming at another premiership. I've won a couple, but I'm certainly not ruling out chasing it. And then it was head down, bum up at the start of the season and he was... And he was riding with a leg in the air, just riding winners everywhere. Then obviously got that untimely suspension where he where he missed rides in, in the Cox Plate and, and Caulfield Cup. But he's certainly riding as well as ever at the moment, Nash Varilla. He's favourite for that title. Obviously, James coming back on January 1. Now, we know what's going to happen when James comes back after all. He's going to get the ride Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday for throughout the whole carnival. And and probably ride like a man possessed. So um, I don't know if the 240 is what I want to take about Nash when we, we know James is going to come back and rack up those trebles and doubles. But um, I think it's certainly going to be talking in six months' time, a fascinating race. And, and, and you wouldn't rule out the likes of Tyler Schiller either, who, who's going to probably spend most of his time riding in Sydney, still asserting himself as a senior jockey. So I don't think he'll be taking too many holidays over the next couple of years as he continues to assert yeah. himself. In, in the Sydney jockeys room. We're nearly a third of the way through the season and on that the trainer side of things in the in the Metro field, uh, Waterhouse and Bot still uh, lead Waller by one, 35 to 34. As a race caller, I w- saw a horse win on Saturday and, and, the, and the colours got me thinking. I'd seen those colours before. The win of Genzano in the spring stakes, of course, were the colours worn by Hortensia, a great mare. 
What a story this was, really. Obviously, they already had a bit of luck on the day, Paul Massara and, and Leah Gavranich, um, all already in that race that you were speaking of earlier, um, when rematch when Nasra Willa um, won the highway on rematch and knocked off Sharp Shock. So, uh, but this was better. Uh, obviously, their first stakes winner um, as co-trainers at the start of this season, uh, Leah came on board as as Paul's co-trainer. Now she's. She's been in various roles. She came over about 15 years ago from Western Australia, started as a track work rider, then sort of just went through the motions, I guess, of just going through working at the stable, went foreman, travelling foreman, assistant trainer, and now trainer. But during that period, she travelled and travelled the globe, really, with Hortensia, who obviously she had so much success around the globe and Leah was there every step of the way so it was just a bit extra special um, the win of Genzano which was a, a granddaughter of Hortensia wearing um, obviously the same silks as, as many recognise now um, look she only fold uh, or had two folds um, during before passing away unfortunately Hortensia but this was one of them and um, yeah well it's now You've got to have to think that uh, she's a pretty nice horse herself. It was a it was a pretty impressive win. Going back and watching the replays yesterday, um, and, and going through the sectionals and things like that, she's run a uh, pretty decent time and and ran through the line nicely. Pretty lightly raced, so pretty exciting to see what she's going to do in the autumn. It was funny just just going back to Cold Crush. I was going to mention this earlier. Um, Sydney's often been called the disruptor in, in in new races and taking horses and jockeys away. Well. It sort of worked the other way on the weekend, didn't it? Because we had five scratchings in the Hunter, which was disappointing, I felt. But Valana, uh, IME, Straight Acer and Ayrton, they all raced to the Rupert Clark at Caulfield. Yeah, look, it was at the start of the week, I was speaking to Sarah Ryan, who ended up not running much, much better for a race in the last. And, and she wasn't in the race yet. And I said, well, I think you're going to get a run because there's a few of these that will... One, one had a track gallop at Caulfield that morning, so we knew where we were going. Um, look, with the two races on, um, obviously the Rupert Clark, um, so Rupert Clark's been moved later in the calendar now, so it wasn't really something that we, we encountered before. Valana obviously ran in this race, the same race last year in the, in the Hunter, so with the options there, it changed a bit. Um, but so look, I still think it was a, a cracking race, the Hunter, obviously. Um, Cole Crusher was excellent. We actually had a, a, the Newcastle Air Show um, over the top of the races on the day as well. So you got two tickets for the price of one as the FA18s hummed overhead. <laughs> quite quite fitting, uh, the Hunter, uh, the new track record holder is there in Cole Crusher, which broke Savitano's record, which of course won an earlier edition of the race. Well, we go from Newcastle to Kembla and the gong is the, the big dance race this, this weekend. Ossipenko is favourite at $4.50. Cepheus, Grabini and Spangler, each at $8 and then double figures. Ossipenko will be one of many Waller runners, Mitch. Yeah, that's correct. Chris is going to go heavy-handed, obviously, winning the 1,000 guineas last weekend, but he'll be back in his home state having having a real crack at the gong and personal favourite this race, the gong. I worked down in Wollongong for about six or seven years. Um, I obviously started working in Sydney before this race existed but uh, look it's always good to go down to Kemba Grange and it's always good at this time of year obviously going up to Newcastle last weekend and Kemba Grange, two of our strongest provincial tracks just get their opportunity towards the end of the carnival but this gong's come up uh, should come up as a pretty good race as you said, also Penko favourite and staying in New South Wales the option was there 
to go over to first for the railway stakes, but he just had a little set, setback, a little abscess before that Golden Eagle. Had to be scratched basically uh, in the 24 hours before the race. And travelling over to Perth after that setback, he's still an entire, obviously, so they're hoping to get a big race along the way and, and shore up a stud career potentially. But uh, look, it was just too much after a little setback to travel halfway across the country. Um, I suppose the potential track issues or, or uh, well, doubts over the track over there probably wouldn't have helped the situation, although I know the, the club have put things in place uh, to, to hopefully put things right. And then, of course, Roots, uh, obviously already going there as well, makes it pretty easy to keep Osapenko in uh, New South Wales. But, yeah, a few others there for Chris in this race. Um, Age of Kings, obviously one of his new additions that came over. They're still very much learning about him as a horse. Waterford, look, he's being a costly commodity for some. If you're, if you're following Wicklow, um, he just wasn't at his best in the big dance. Skyman and New Mandate. So a few there for Chris. Um, obviously, Chris Lees will have another one in there, which I think is a sneaky hope in Spangler after his terrific win in uh, the Little Dance. Good on you, mate. Look forward to work, working with you during the summer. Thanks, mate, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy your day. And good to uh, good to talk to all the punters again. Mitch Cohen there joining us from the the Daily Telegraph. Chris Barsby's on the line now. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. I mentioned uh, in my opening remarks uh, just wanting to see a bit more mainstream publicity for the Inter Dominion, but that's been said. But we, as I said at the end of it, we do have the $2 favourite in, in Leap to Fame. This is a very exciting horse, and, and I think the horse itself needs to be known better by people outside of racing. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I agree with your comments that you made at the start of the show. Uh, just not only mainstream coverage, just more coverage. As you said, the series starts on Friday week, and we've got the favourite for the series. Given the fact, too, that we've only had one Queensland horse win at Inter-Dominion. He's the greatest Inter-Dominion champion of all time in a Blacks of Fake, a four-times winner. But here we are on the verge of winning our second Inter-Dominion or having the winner hail from this state... And, and most people wouldn't know who he is. It's, it's disappointing, but uh, time's ticking. There's no doubt about it. So later today, we'll have uh, the final round of uh, acceptances taking place. And then on Wednesday, we'll have the final rankings released. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what horses make the payments today and how they're then uh, ranked on Wednesday but I'm expecting there's going to be significant changes to what we first saw when the original rankings came out a, a few months ago. He's at $2 leap to fame. Now, Swayze at four fifty. Act Down 9. Hi, my name is Jeff 9 and Rock and Roll do 11. When we spoke last Monday, it was on the eve of the New Zealand Cup and Swayze was successful. He's unbeaten for Jason Grimson. Nine in a row. A, a big result, not only for the Grimson stable and connections, but for Australia as well. Was that win authoritative enough to say that he can beat Leap to Fame again? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But the big question now, is he going to be here for ID23 on Friday week when those first round of heats are staged at Albion Park? There's just been a little bit of a, a, a whisper coming out of New Zealand that... Uh, they may be changing their plans and it's hard to get any sort of information about whether or not he's going to be here 
or not. He was scratched from the show day free-for-all on Friday and they cited the reason he just hadn't come through the New Zealand Cup run as well as hope. So they pulled him out of that race on Friday and since then that uh, that rumour has gone into overdrive. So we're in the, uh, in the dark a little bit here with Swayze. Will he make the trip to Brisbane or will they change plans and head elsewhere? So this is going to be crucial for a number of reasons. So we'll watch with interest here today. Uh, if he is amongst final acceptances today, he's obviously going to be uh, pushing on at this point. But there is that little bit of doubt whether or not Swayze returns for ID23. You mentioned uh, if he doesn't um, come here, he may go elsewhere. What What is elsewhere? Is there an elsewhere? Well, they'll be looking at features early in the new year. So races like the Hunter Cup, Miracle Mile, they'll be at the forefront of their plan. So they might just give him a little bit of an easy time now and then they'll crank him up for those big races coming up early in the new year. So the Hunter Cup first, that's in February, and then the Miracle Mile in, in early March. Of course, the Pacers Grand Final is worth half a million dollars. The Trotters Grand Final, uh, we shouldn't lose sight of this either, is worth uh, $250,000. Just believe at $2 and Queen a litre at $3.50. So they've really cornered the, the futures market. Uh, is the market right? Are they the only two genuine winning chances or is it wider? No, I think they're the two, Dave, and I think it's really exciting. Now, we got a little bit of an entree about these two trotters because they clashed on Friday night at Bendigo. They went around in a free-for-all race there. Just Believe was first up since his European adventures uh, midway through the year. Queen Alita's taken all before her, but it was Just Believe fresh up that was able to park outside of Queen Alita and put her away. He was super impressive, just believe. So there was a real exclamation mark with that performance there saying that he's ready for ID23. Keeping in mind too, David, he is the defending champion. The stable's in super form. Greg Sugar's driving in super form. So they'll take a lot of confidence away from that victory. Queen a lot of far from disappointing. It was a track record run that they produced there on Friday night at Bendigo, a notoriously fast track, but they still rated 55.6 for 2,150 metres. They're clearly the top two, but just believe after that first up performance there on Friday night, he's the horse to beat and he's really in the box seat. Mm. Uh, this is a question without notice. Just with the, the Pacers heats, how many heats will there be each night? Uh, on the first night, they're going to run four because that first round of heats is going to be over the miles. So they just give them that little bit more room. So there'll be four heats of nine runners. And then once they change uh, on Tuesday and go to 2100, they'll go back to three heats with fields of 12. And that'll be the same for the final round of heats over the Inter-Dominion Grand Final distance of 2600 metres. But just on opening night, four heats of nine horses. I've been watching Nathan Dawson drive and uh, that doesn't... Uh... It's not rocket science. He has a lot of drives, but he drives a lot of winners. And I think at last tally, he's driven 371 winners this season. Can he get to the 400 by the end of the year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about that. And if he does break the 400 barrier as far as wins are concerned for a single season, he'll become only the second driver to achieve that feat. Mm. And that sits only behind Chris Alford, who's done it twice. Chris Alford's got the record, 456 wins in a single season, set back in 2017-18. The following year, he returned Chris Alford and booted home 422. So the record for a Queensland driver, and we saw it only just recently, back in the 2021 season, Pete McMullen, 315. 
He's obliterated Pete's mark, and he's certainly on track to get to 400. So he's going to join very, very elite company, joining only Chris Alford in that uh, in that figure of 400 wins in a season. And it's quite astonishing. There's no doubt about it. And just to give you some more sort of parameters here. He's 125 wins clear in the National Premiership. Gary Hall Jr., the wonder from the West, he sits in second. And his lead in the State Premiership, David, is 174. It's remarkable, the uh, the season that he's having, Nathan Dawson. But I'm certain he will get to 400. It's going to be interesting because we've got ID23 coming up. Not as promised, the uh, Victoria Trotters derby, the first, uh, first Queenslander to win that Victoria feature. He's now headed to New Zealand for the derby as well. So he's going to have some travel and he's got a big series coming up. So it's going to be it's going to be tight, but I think he gets the job done and gets into that 400 uh, range. And last season, he achieved 235 winners. So the fact that he's now driven uh, you know, around 140 more and still with about six weeks to go. Extraordinary. The other extraordinary feature is this, this is worth pointing out, he's not attached to a big stable. He's not, he doesn't mm. drive for Grant Dixon. He doesn't, uh, well, he may, may very occasionally drive for Chantel Turpin and Peter McMuddler, but he's not attached to a big stable. No, he's solely a freelance driver, so uh, he turns up to uh, just about every meeting, and we're racing six days a week now here in the Sunshine State. But you're right, it's a very valid point that he's not attached to a, a big stable. He drives for a lot of good stables, no question about it. He'll drive for Graham Dwyer, he'll drive for Jack Butler, and I think most trainers here in the southeast now will use, uh, utilise his services when they can. But the fact that he is solely a, uh, a freelance driver, that's a remarkable season. Certainly is his parents, his mum and dad, Glenn and Juanita, would be very, very proud of him. It's, uh, it's a great achievement. and Let's hope he gets to that 400, and like what Chris says, he more likely will do that. Chris, thanks for your time this morning. Pleasure, David. Chris Barsby joining us. We'll be talking with him over the next few weeks, of course, as we loom towards ID23, the Inner Dominion, first round of heats on Friday the 1st of December. I want to make a, a quick mention, too, to a lady called Jenny Anderson. She's... Uh, in trotting up to her bootstrap, she loves harness racing, always trains one or two. She won a race at Albion Park on Saturday night with last call, started $34, but I'm led to believe they bet better odds. So, Jenny, I hope you had something on it. Uh, you've done a terrific uh, job with this horse, an ex-Victorian, I think fairly modestly priced, and that was last call's fourth win there on Saturday night with Matthew Nielsen driving. But... Uh, Jenny's been around as long as I've been around in harness racing and still going strong. And has a full-time job as well. The harness racing is a hobby, but it's a hobby she certainly loves and, and treats with great enthusiasm. Let's take a break here on Press Room. Thanks for your company this morning. Ben Scannon joins us on the other side of this break. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. Well, it's for Tech 1 okay, on Your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. There are 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all the big names and they provide the very best in veterinary services. You can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au or there's a free call number, 1-800-060-896. 1-800-060-896, Garrett's Horse and Hound. They've been with us since day one of Press Room and we're very proud to have them with us. Let's say good morning to Ben Scattered in Adelaide. How are you, mate? Yeah. So, yeah I've got you there, Ben. Yes, David. Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you now, loud and clearly. I was oh, just looking through. I was looking through um, the record of Baron Vorster, just to refresh my memory. He hasn't ridden 
since February, 18th of February, and his last, yeah. well, one of his last rides was a winner, but uh, he hasn't ridden since then. But you've got some news this morning that there might be some light at the end of what's been a very long tunnel. Yeah, well, let's hope so. And it's easy to forget he was he was our number one rider pretty much. He was absolutely dominating down here, really innocuous incident where he, where he suffered a, a head knock in a... Um, and yeah, look, wouldn't look like nothing at all. And but he's been suffering significant concussion symptoms ever since. But um, yeah, he spoke last week, and he's definitely made progress. He said he's a whole lot better now than he was, say, even six weeks ago. You can see some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, he's actually been for a jog, which for a lot of people you wouldn't think well that doesn't mean too much, but for Baron it was very significant that he was able to do that, do some light exercise. Um, and he's hopeful that he can, at the very least, get on the back of a horse um, early next year. So, you know, maybe in a couple of months' time, he can sit back on a horse, which is something he hasn't been able to do for, um, you know, not, what is it, nine months, which is absolutely crazy. So, um, yeah, he's, I think he's found it hugely challenging from, from what we hear, but, um, you know, he's, he's stayed positive, um, and those those concussion symptoms, that dizziness, um, headaches, those kind of things, do seem to be subsiding, which is very positive. Something you need to be super careful of, careful with, obviously, and even more so when your when your occupation is a jockey, where you need to be as sharp as humanly possible all the time. Yeah, very serious situation, but hugely frustrating, I'm sure, for, and, and for, for a man of his talent, you know, of course, uh, not being able to earn income either over such a long period as it is now. Yeah, that's right. We, I mean, there would be a um, some a work cover subsidy there, but um, you know, he wouldn't be earning at the level that he could have when he's riding because he rides lots of winners and can um, you know make a very very good living out of out of that. So um, you know, there is there is good protection for jockeys when they're injured, but yeah, it's still not the same level as if he was riding all the time. And he um, yeah, he would find it very frustrating because he is a. Uh, a horse racing lifer. That's that's all he knows. That's all he does. And um, yeah, it, would have, it must have been very, very challenging for him. So yeah, fingers crossed that things are more positive early next year. I found Shane Collins to be one of the more competent and successful administrators in in South Australian racing. But we're losing him from Oakbank, I believe. We are. We're lo- losing him from horse racing altogether. So um, Shane was at Oakbank for a period of time. Um, that was after he'd been working at the South Australian Jockey Club for a period, and before that he was a fairly long-standing chief executive of the Gawler Club, Gawler and Brossi Jockey Club. Um, but, yeah, he's just announced at the end of last week that he will be leaving that role at Oakbank as chief executive. Um, it's not official where he's going, but from what I understand, there's a good chance he'll be heading back to the motorsport industry. That's um, an industry he's quite passionate about as well, um, has been employed in it, in it previously, so I don't have any real details about exactly where he's going, but um, from what I understand, yeah, he's leaving horse racing altogether and heading back to motorsport. We wish him well, but it is it is a loss for, for racing for sure and certain. Big day coming Absolutely. up in Morfordville next Saturday. We've been talking about this for some time. We've got these TAP finals. I think there are six races in excess of $100,000 and three other final races, so all good races, all for good prize money. Thirsty Guest we saw win the opener on Saturday. Now, will Thirsty Guest back up this weekend? 
So it sounds like it, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a really strong day um, with all those all those finals. It feels like we've been kind of building up to this for quite some time. It feels like a couple of months worth. And yeah, thirsty guess he will be one of the stars of the show. Dan Clarkin, one of the co-trainers, along with Upper McGilvray, has confirmed that that horse is most likely to back up in the Happy Trail Series final um, on Saturday. He was look, he was really good on. On Saturday, I thought he might have been getting close to the end of his uh, end of his tether this campaign, but gee, finished off really strongly. Jake Turek was on board, and he kind of let the horse just let his head go in, in the straight, and the horse ran out a little bit, which he does tend to do. But he was really strong to the line. I, I thought on Francais might have pinched that race, but um, yeah, Thirsty Guess was was simply too good, and he looked as as good as he's ever looked really. So no reason why he shouldn't have a crack at that that hundred thousand dollar race on on Saturday. And Dan. Um, is in a fortunate position where he and Upe Upe also train uh, the very nice mare, the map, a promising staying mare who won that, uh, the 2800 metre race at at Flemington on Cup Day. Uh, She was really, really good that day and they've decided that she's most likely to run in the Skybo Series final. That's a 2500 metre race, I believe, on Saturday as well. So they're going to have a couple of very, very strong contenders in those tab final races. And Chipson might be another one on the seven-day backup. Looks like it, yeah. He was um, look, he was really good on Saturday, Chip Sun, and he's building up a nice record for Jeff Searle. Jeff trains out of Border Town, and yeah, Chip Sun looks like he could be one of the best horses that Jeff's trained. I thought he was very good, and he's um, yeah, he's likely to back up in that Tab Country final again on Saturday. So it's um, yeah, lots of horses on the seven-day backup, but um, they also look like a couple who will be very, very competitive in their finals as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just speaking about the the Morfordville meeting on Saturday. The day belonged to Jacob Alperman, riding-wise. Yeah, sure did. He uh, he rode a treble. Jacob, he um, it's fair to, like he's been riding very consistently, but probably hasn't had a breakout day for a period of time. Um, it's actually his best day in the saddle for for eighteen months with those three winners on Saturday. He rode Chateau's for uh, Aaron Bain and Ned Taylor, Chip Sun for Jeff Searle, and La Defence for Will Clark and Nicky O'Shea. Did a beautiful job on all three of those horses. Thought he he rode really really well. Um, and I think that little boost might be just enough to get Jacob back on the back of some of the some of the better chances in his race. He's still right up there in our Metro Jockeys Premiership early days, of course. But I think he's about four wins off the uh, off the leader, Jake Toroke, and riding really well. But he eighteen months ago, I think he rode five winners on a Saturday once. So um, there's no doubting his ability. And um, yeah, I think he'll continue to establish himself through the rest of his year and on through to um, in 2024. Sure and certain. Thanks for your time this morning, Ben. Thanks, Damien. Ben Scallon joining us from Adelaide. Just speaking of Adelaide, before we join up with Colin McNiff, we saw that horse Caravas uh, win during the Flemington Carnival, won the Ottawa, of course, won that feature at Murray Bridge on debut for Neville Morgan, two from two for Richard and Chantel Jolly. And I must admit at the time I wasn't aware, she's a filly by Alabama Express as well. And isn't this sire making a great impression with his first crop? We saw that horse Shangri-La Express win the Golden Gift. It's unbeaten in two runs for Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott. Caravas unbeaten in two runs uh, at Murray Bridge and at Flemington. And, of course, Poster Girl winning at the Sunshine Coast on Sunday by Alabama Express. He was only a lightly raced horse, but a very good horse. He won the Oar Stakes as a three-year-old, so he's a Group 1 performer, trained by Mike Moroni, but the impression he's making with the first crop is quite, quite extraordinary. Colin McGliff's on the line now. Good morning, Col. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks, David. You raced at Launceston on Friday afternoon, early evening. A couple of uh, mm. 
three-year-olds caught your eye there that we, that we can follow with maybe confidence? I think so, yeah. It was only a class one. These two or three-year-olds have only had one start each and both had winning the Booz, Doro, Star and Bine. Um, Bine won the race from, from Doro, Star. They'll both meet again in the three-year-old cup, a $125,000 race coming up next Wednesday, uh, Wednesday week, the 29th. But both were impressive. Um, Bine did everything right. Doro, Star was a, a little slow to begin and sort of struggled around the home turn, but really picked up to beat over only a half length over the 1,100 metres these two horses are going to have some pretty good duels, I think, uh, over the coming months. They both look to be well and truly above average and both worth no- uh, noting. Uh, Bine, trained by Adam Trinder, and uh, Doro Star is trained by Leandra Gray. They both come from uh, from Devonport and both highly promising. And the win of Bine uh, is a special moment for the, the winning jockey, Erica Byrne-Burke. It was, yeah. Erica uh, outrode her claim uh, late last season, uh, her 80th winner, but uh, last Friday night that was her 100th winner. So the Irish-born apprentice, who's uh, apprentice to uh, Adam Trinder, uh, she was aboard mine. So, yeah, real uh, thrill for Erica. And one that I, I also, another riding milestone that went by unnoticed. I was just doing some facts and figures uh, over the weekend. David Perez, back in August, uh, rode his 1,000th winner. He's now on 1,006. So, yeah, great achievement by, by Dave Perez, who's been a premiership jockey down here on multiple occasions. Trading travel to John Keyes. First time that John's trained a treble since he's, he's virtually taken over the Scott Brunton training camp. Of course, Scott's his son-in-law, Tegan, being John's daughter, and he's taken over the vast majority. There's a few horses that have found their way to other stables. But, yeah, John's starting to find his feet. Uh, had a double last week and a few winners in the past few weeks, but a treble. Uh, when asked about that treble, he, he, he couldn't remember the last time he trained a treble. So things are starting to fall into place and, and good to see. And, and Dave Perez also kicking home a few winners there. And speaking of John, of course, the inevitable wasn't disgraced in the, the Champions Mile at Fleming. Mm. Pride of Jenny dominated. But when you look at the, the, the race, I mean, Mr. Brightside, Alligator Blood, Fangirl, the inevitable was just behind them. But uh, they're continuing with the campaign, is that right? They are. Look, I agree with you. I thought he ran as well as he possibly could in that uh, in that Champions Mile at Flemington. He's back home. Um, they are toying with the idea of the 1,200-metre Newmarket handicap on November 29, but that may just come up a little too soon coming back from 1,600 metres, that race at Flemington. But he is back home. If not, the, the Newmarket, which, of course, he won last year, he'll go on. Uh, he'll start in the conquering uh, 1,400-metre weight for age race a fortnight later. So we'll certainly be seeing the inevitable over the summer, which is great, and uh, look forward to either the, the Newmarket or the conquering in the next few weeks. And mentioning your summer carnival, it was launched on Saturday night. Yeah, nice little get-together, a bit of a cocktail party to launch the uh, summer racing festival, as it's known these days. Unofficially, it, it gets underway with the new market handicap. That's uh, our premier sprint race each and every year coming up on November 29. But we've got all the big races. The, the festival um, it, it incorporates all three codes. So we've got some, some big greyhound races, the Hobart Thousand. We've got the, the Tasmanian Pacing Cup for harness racing. And, of course, all the cups and feature races for the galloping over the summer racing time. Excellent work. Good to talk to you, Colin. Okay, Dave. Thank you. Colin McNiff joining us. That rounds our press room for Monday, the 20th of November. Thanks for your company. As always, look forward to being with you again next week. Have a good day. Bye-bye.